So good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to get into the sermon now, and, and I want to tell you that when we come to the sermon, uh, the scripture is key. Um, so I want to invite you to gather around the Word of God. We're going to be doing our work in Matthew chapter 13. And what's interesting about Matthew chapter 13 is, if you haven't been here before, we do a little review. This is, this is where Jesus starts to teach in parables. He doesn't begin his ministry always necessarily talking in parables, uh, but, but at this point he is. And, and we've been very clear about why Jesus teaches in parables. Let's just review. Matthew 13, 10 through 11. This is what it says. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them, the crowd, in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And so what we find in the parables is, that, is they're not, the purpose of them is not illustrative. It's not to explain something. It's almost the opposite. It's, it's to hide the truth from some people and to reveal the truth to others. Um, and, and so that's what's happening in chapter 13. Jesus has gone out to the water. He, he, he stood on a boat. He, he taught. And then um, this is, this is going to be probably the, the, the third and fourth parable we go through together. And, and so here's an important question. What is Jesus talking about in Matthew chapter 13? We know that he is communicating through parables but what is Jesus communicating through parables? What are the parables about? There's a common theme there. And, and, and very simply, Jesus is using the parables to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And now, I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. You probably have. I don't know if you put much energy into understanding that term. But actually, the kingdom of heaven is one of the primary themes of the entire New Testament. And, and you really, I would make the argument that you can't understand what Jesus is talking about unless you understand the kingdom of heaven. Because most of Jesus' preaching is about the kingdom of heaven. If you, if you were to look outside, we're in Matthew now, but if you were to look outside the book of Matthew, you would find that instead of the term the kingdom of heaven, the New Testament would primarily, in other books, use the term the kingdom of God. And, and you'll, you're going to find that term, the kingdom of God, referenced over 70 times outside of Matthew in the New Testament. But, but if you look in the, in the book of Matthew, instead of using the term the kingdom of God, it uses the term kingdom of heaven. And, and it, it seems to be substituted there. And Matthew references the kingdom of heaven like 32 times. And, and most scholars are going to say those two terms are synonymous. In other words, the kingdom of God described outside of Matthew and the kingdom of heaven described inside of Matthew are describing the same reality. They're referencing the exact same thing. Uh, if, if, we, if we go to the Beatitudes, where, remember that at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to begin to teach. He says this, Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? The, the kingdom of heaven. There, there is something to be had by those who have a poor spirit. And remember we talked about a poor spirit as being a, a spirit of humility, of, of knowing that the, the only righteousness you can have comes through Christ. Jesus later on in, in, in Matthew 5, 20 says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, what, enter the kingdom of heaven. There it is, it's that, that central teaching of Jesus. There is this, this kingdom that, 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 that can be yours and that you could enter, but right now he says that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, 
Jesus says uh, later on in Matthew's gospel that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet he, he tells a Roman centurion in Matthew 8, 5 this, that many will come from east and west and recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob where? In the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is teaching that not everyone says, Lord, Lord, but he's also teaching that the kingdom of heaven is multinational and it's multi-ethnic. Actually, the kingdom of heaven, as I said before, is Jesus' main teaching point. If, if you study the, the book of Matthew, you will discover that the overarching theme is that Jesus is the great king who's not just come to save, but, but also to rule as king over his people in the kingdom of heaven. And, and once again, just review with me, Matthew 13, 11 says this, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, he points to the crowd instead of the disciples, he says, but to them it has not been given. All the parables in Matthew 13 are trying to explain the same thing, and that is this question that we're kind of tackling today. What is the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean? And so when you get into Matthew 13, you're going to find seven different parables that Jesus gives explaining the kingdom. And, and it, just to review, the, the first parable is, is the parable of the sower, and about three weeks ago we talked about that, and there, there, there were four kinds of soil. And the, and the sower scattered the seed of the gospel. This is Jesus going around the, the kingdom. He's, he's throwing the gospel out. And, and there's, there's four kinds of soil, but only the good soil produces fruit. And so the question could be asked, what, what are you supposed to understand about the kingdom of heaven based on the parable of the sower? Well, I, that there are going to be many people who don't understand it, that many people who reject it. And it, really, it's a rare, rare person Whose spirit, who the Spirit has done work in their heart, who will bear fruit from the kingdom. And then, then we went on to a second parable. And the second parable was the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we, we spent time teaching through it last week. And, and so what, is, what does the parable of the wheat and the tares teach us about the kingdom of heaven? The Son of Man in this parable um, sows wheat into a field that he owns, and the enemy uh, sows weeds into the same field. And, and the wheat uh, excuse me, the, the wheat represents God's people and the weeds represent people who have rejected Jesus. And the basic teaching about the kingdom of heaven is that, that, that believers, the, the wheat and the unbeliever weeds will grow up together in the field, but that one day all men will stand before God in judgment. And that was an important message to the disciples who were looking around and wondering why Jesus wasn't just pouring out his wrath and judgment on all people. The parable of the wheat and tares says that judgment will be a little bit delayed. Today we're going to look at two other parables. And, and they're going to be about the kingdom of heaven as well. And those two parables are the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And what I want you to ask yourself as we read these is, what do these parables teach me? about the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to read together today from Matthew 13, 31 through 35. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able to. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read. Uh, Father, we, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and, and we're thankful for the revelation of the word of God, that we can, uh, we can read and know you and know about your kingdom and worship you in, in the way that you are revealed before us. So would you send your spirit to sow and dwell us that we would understand and be quickened to know your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. All right, short reading today, uh, only a few verses, beginning in verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. They told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's a short text this morning, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, I invite you to, to look with me at verse 31. He put another parable before them saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Have you ever seen a, a mustard seed? I, I had printed out a picture that I had intended to have for us to put up on the screen, but I, I forgot. And it's, it's just so small, it's just very little. And, and I think what you, you begin to see in these first few parables, if you've been following along, is there are some really common themes. They kind of sound the same. They begin the same. They, all these parables begin with agricultural life, farmers and seeds and such, and, and that would have been common to the people of the time. Now, now, what's funny is this. The seed in the first parable is not the same as the seed in the second parable, and it's not the same as the seed in the third parable, but they all represent something different. You see, the, the seed in the first parable was the gospel. It was the good news that, that the sower was, was scattering out among as he went. The seed in the second parable represents something different. It's not the gospel anymore. It's people who are planted in the farmer's field. It, it represents believers. What's the seed in this parable? The parable of, of, of the mustard seed. What's the seed represent in what we just read? It's the kingdom of heaven. It's not the gospel. It's not people. The seed is the kingdom of heaven. The, the whole kingdom of heaven, all of, all of, all of Jesus' kingdom is represented as, as, a, as a tiny, tiny seed. It's a strange comparison. It, it's not just any seed. It's, it's a little bitty. It's the mustard seed, which is probably for the people in that region the smallest seed. Now, now, R.C. Sproul, Dr. Sproul suggests that you might have expected Jesus to say that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a mighty mountain range or that the kingdom of heaven is like a vast and deep ocean. But alas, no, no. What, what Jesus says is that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, now mustard was used, it was, a, it was a crop grown in that day, used for many things. It was used for its oil primarily, which had medicinal properties. It was used for, for flavoring like it is today, but it, it was raised as a crop. But, but look what happens to the mustard seed. Ready? Verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Very interesting. Jesus says that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Now, this is kind of hyperbole. I just want to make that point. We know that there, in the grand scheme of all seeds in all the world, there are a few that are smaller. But, but there were not seeds smaller used in that area at that time. Jesus is it's not trying to give you a botany lesson here. 
Critics of Jesus actually have come in and said, see, the word of God is not infallible because Jesus says that the mustard seed is the smallest seed. That's not the point. He obviously didn't know, or he obviously did know that there were smaller seeds, you know, but, but that's not the point. That's ridiculous. What, what Jesus is using, is, it's a rhetorical device. We do the same thing today. We, like, like you'd see some, some hulky guy working out in the gym, and I, I go, God, that guy's huge. And, and later when I tell Cammie, I tell him, that guy had the biggest arms. Well, I wasn't measuring every arm in the world. That wasn't my point, right? My point was uh, that, that guy has giant arms, right? That, that's it. Jesus' point is the mustard seed's very tiny. What does the mustard seed represent in the parable? The kingdom of heaven. What, what, what is Jesus saying about his kingdom? He's saying, and it's very simple, it is currently very tiny. That's, that's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying, my, my kingdom is currently very tiny like this seed. Look again at verse 32. We'll put it up again if we can. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. What is Jesus saying is going to happen to the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that it, it's going to grow, that, that his kingdom is going, to, is going to grow into something mighty. The mustard plant was unique in that it was a great illustration in that, that it grew from a tiny seed, the smallest of seeds, into a plant that was larger than really all the other plants. It was, it was really maybe better described as a giant shrub. And when you're talking about Galilee and the crops that were grown in that area, nothing that they harvested in that area was as big as the mustard plant. The mustard plants on the right conditions grew to 12 to 15 feet tall in one season. One season. What, what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven is he's saying it, it might be small now, but wait and see what it's going to become. And, and this would have been so important for the disciples to hear. Don't you know that? Uh, the, the disciples would have been looking at their, their ragtag group of believers, and, and they would have at times been so discouraged. It, it would have had to feel, if you were a disciple of Jesus at that time, that, that it's the dozen of us versus the world. Yes, like if, if you're reading this and you see that there are, there are crowds that are following Jesus, yes. But those crowds um, seem to be primarily concerned about getting a blessing or or getting a healing, they do not, on, a, on the whole, believe that Jesus is king. They're, they're outside of his kingdom. They're the same people that will lay down these palm branches when they come in on, uh, to Jerusalem and then call for Jesus to be crucified days later. The kingdom is small. It's mustard seed small. This whole story started small. Last Christmas, we started reading Matthew, and it was a small story where we read about a, a baby born in a stable to an illiterate an educated young girl from Nazareth. Jesus picks fishermen and tax collectors from Galilee to be the first citizens in his kingdom. And, and, and when it comes to the cross, all these, even these dozen followers are scattered. Peter's over there denying him. At the time that Jesus ascends into, into, into heaven, the church is, in all of its entirety, has grown to about 120 people. That's it. That's the only people that believe in Jesus' kingdom. So, so, so how in the world does Jesus' kingdom become, I could say this, the most influential force in human history? 
How does Jesus' ministry there that seemed to be a failure change the world? How, do you know that there's more paintings about Jesus and his story than anyone in history? More songs about his kingdom? How does this poor carpenter change the world? And like everyone who hears this parable, even the disciples, there's none of them who could possibly conceive of what Jesus' kingdom would become. What's the result of, of Jesus' kingdom upon the world? I think that's an interesting question. What's the, what's the, what is the result of, of the kingdom of heaven upon the world? Well, I'm going to tell you this. In the parable, the, the seed grows into what? A giant tree. And what's the result? What, what happens in the branches of that tree? It, it begins to say that, that there are birds that come and rest in its branches. And, and the birds, they actually make their nest in the branches of the kingdom. And, and there seems to be shade and protection to be had in the kingdom of heaven. So, so how do we understand this? What are we to know about the kingdom of heaven? What are these birds? What are, why are they in the branches? Well, let's see if we can figure that out. Um, the kingdom of heaven grows, and, and really what that represents is that men and women in the world are, are, are beginning to submit to Christ's rule and reign. The church is forming. Jesus' kingdom of believers is growing. And as time goes on, what happens is that Christians and Christ's kingdom is shaping society. And they are impacting the world around them. And the kingdom of heaven uh, is, is, is not having a small impact either. The kingdom of heaven might be the most influential force, I really believe this, in the history of the world, especially in the last 2,000 years. And, and the kingdom of heaven in some real way is like a tree that provides shelter to the world. Even, and this is really important, even for unbelievers, right? The influence of the kingdom of heaven has made the world better for everyone. So I'm going to try to explain this in another way. In the book of Daniel, now you're familiar with the book of Daniel. Daniel uh, is, is a book about Babylonian exile. So, so Daniel was an exemplary guy who's, who's taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and he, he serves the king, right? And Daniel has this great vision. And in, in Daniel's vision, one of his visions, he has several visions, but one of these visions that Daniel has, he sees, lo and behold, a giant tree that reaches up into the sky. Very similar, right? And, and it, it had leaves that produced shade. It had fruit that fed everyone around it. And, and, and in the vision, all of the beasts of the field and all the birds there, they, they come to this tree and they make their dwelling underneath this tree. Now, now once again, I'll remind you that Daniel's writing during Babylonian exile. He's in Babylon. He's serving the Babylonian king. And Daniel explains what this tree is about. Ready? Let's read together. Daniel 4, 20 through 22. Ready? Uh, he's explained this. He said, The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and, it, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived, it is you, O king. So, so Daniel's talking to the Babylonian king. He's saying, the tree is you who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. The tree in Daniel 
is the kingdom of Babylon. It's, it's the king's reign. Daniel is saying that, that in, a, in a sense, the king or the kingdom of Babylon has become like a tree, and all the other nations got to come underneath that tree and find comfort and security and food from the great tree of Babylon. So, so Babylon's like this center of culture and education and architecture and peace and prosperity in the world. Now, what's interesting is this is not the only time we see this. If you, if you, if you read the book of Ezekiel, and you, you go to Ezekiel chapter 31, and, and I won't belabor the point long, I promise, but Ezekiel's going to describe Assyria, which is, which is the other giant world power at the time, by comparing it to what? You guessed it. He compares Assyria to a great tree. Look at Ezekiel 31.6. He says this. And see how familiar this sounds. All the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all the great nations. He is saying that the Assyrian Empire is a big, giant, great kingdom. And this is what else he's saying. All the other nations of the world are finding shelter and being blessed somehow by the greatness of Assyria. So, so we have one of the prophets of God proclaiming that Babylon is like a great tree. And then we have another prophet of God claiming that Assyria is like a great tree. Now, listen, both of these kind of, if we read further in the prophecy, it's kind of like, but now, woe is you because here comes the Lord, right? I mean, there, there is, there's also some judgment that comes later on this. But all this to say, the imagery of birds nesting in the branches of the great tree of a great kingdom, this is not new language. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven will be mighty, but in a very, in one way similar, but, but in one way very different than Assyria or Babylon. Uh, the kingdom of heaven will provide shelter, even for lesser kingdoms. And, and I, I guess, isn't that a beautiful picture to think about the church, Christ's people, the kingdom, being a, providing shelter for everyone? What, what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven, he's telling the disciples that it, that it may be small now, but eventually it will be a mighty kingdom, one that will not only be powerful, but will bless the world. And, and any reasonable historian will tell you all the benefits that, that our world has enjoyed because of the influence of the kingdom of heaven. And, and I know, like I know out there that there are people who want to be apologists for the church. They want to apologize for all the scandals and all the sinful actions done by the church throughout history. And sure, there, there have been wolves in the church who have done terrible things, and, and I regret that. But I just say this, that overall, the church, the kingdom of heaven, has been a blessing for the world. Now, there's, there's one more parable this week, and it's only one verse long, so it's very quick for us to go through. Verse 33, the parable of the leaven. Let's read it together. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. What does the leaven represent? The kingdom, right? We've left the world of, of farming in our parables, and we have entered the world of baking in our parables. And in this baking exercise, uh, there's only two ingredients, um, leaven and flour. Now, Leaven is the ingredient that makes bread rise, right? Uh, typically, you use le uh, yeast as a leaven. And the process is, is kind of interesting. Uh, the leaven causes fermentation that releases gases, which causes 
dough to kind of stretch and fill, and it has that chewy, elastic texture. But in the story, the kingdom is the leaven, and the leaven is hidden, right? If you go back and look at that text, it's like a woman who took and hid the leaven inside the other ingredients, inside the flour. And the point that Jesus is making is this, that the kingdom in the current context of what he's telling the story is hidden, just like the leaven was hidden. And just like the leaven is working slowly to transform the flour, the kingdom of heaven is slowly working to transform the world. And, and the kingdom of heaven does its work of transformation, and, and the kingdom of heaven infiltrates and it permeates the world, and it's doing so now even if the disciples can't see it, and it's expanding and it's persistent, and you can't stop it until it's reached its fulfillment at the end of time. That's what the parable is about. So let's ask the question together that we, that we often ask after we do our exegete work in the text. The, the question would be, so What? What did we learn today, and what does it mean for us? We learned, um, as Jesus told his disciples, that the kingdom is like a tiny seed that will grow into a mighty tree. It may seem small now, but one day it will be mighty, and it will be powerful, and all the nations and all the birds will make their nests upon its branches. We also learned that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That, that it's been hidden inside the flower or inside the world, and you might not see it, but you can rest assured that it's doing its work. Like leaven, the kingdom is transformative, and like leaven, it's pervasive. Do you know that, that these two parables, when heard, they had to be so encouraging for the disciples? Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the King of Kings, God incarnate, is telling them, that, the end, uh, uh, that, that, that in the end, the kingdom will not be thwarted. Even though all the seed falls on good soil, and, 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 or not all of it falls on good soil, and, and people reject Jesus, even though Satan works in the world, God is sovereign, he is all-powerful, he holds all things together, and the kingdom is unstoppable. Now listen, I, I hear a lot of Christians today woe is me when it comes to the kingdom. Woe is me when it comes to the current state of Christianity. And they, they begin to believe that the kingdom of God is currently in retreat, right? They, they, they come to me and they say, Tyson, like in, in Western Europe, only 2% of the population goes to church on a Sunday morning. You, you might even say that even in the U.S., uh, the church seems to be shrinking. And I would tell you that God holds all things together. And that nothing happens outside of his will. And, and I will tell you that the faithfulness of nations have always waxed and waned. But God's plans have never once been thwarted. Did you realize that um, the church is exploding in China? It's exploding in Korea. It's exploding in South America and Eastern Europe and Australia and Africa. The yeast is hidden in the flour, my friends. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not working. I trust the promises of the King of Kings. And I hate that some days I look around and think, man, more people should be worshiping Jesus alongside us. Do you ever get discouraged uh, by people who are not in church? I do. People who have, who have seemingly turned their back on Jesus, I, I get discouraged by that. I'll say this, 
In every age, the people who have not been part of Christ's church have discouraged people. We want everyone to know that, that Jesus saves, and we want them to know how he saves. But Jesus tells us uh, that's now how the kingdom of heaven works. That was his very first parable. Even though we want everyone to come to Christ, they won't. The gospel doesn't always find fertile ground in the hearts of people. To those of us who gather as the church every week, do you know what we get? You know what we get when we gather? When we gather for worship, as others play golf and as others are sleeping it off and others are at the ball game, we get to experience a taste of the kingdom of heaven. Every time we gather together, we, we experience a taste of the kingdom of heaven. And I would not want to be anywhere else. When the church gathers for worship, that's the best part of my life. And you know, one day, this, this taste that we have when we're together as a church, we're going to experience its fullness in the kingdom. Thanks be to God. Friends, this has been the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. I want to say thanks be to God for his promises. Know, my friends, that the kingdom of heaven is, is working even when you cannot see it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your, the parables of Jesus that speak to your church even now. Father, I have to believe that, that those parables were, were parables of hope and, and parables of encouragement for the disciples who heard them. May they be parables of, of hope and um, an encouragement for your church as we hear them today. Now, we pray this in the name of Jesus and all the church said, amen. <laughs>